1: Football season is around the corner and Podcast One Sportsnet has the best shows to help you build the best fantasy team in the league. Serve up some picks with Ross Tucker's Fantasy Feast and take a spin with award-winning finalists on the fantasy record or get all the tricks for fantasy sports and gambling with Underdog Sports Fantasy Hour. Dominate the competition and download new episodes of these shows and more every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
0: Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. We're going to do a little NFC North preview. Sam, you ready to go?
1: Yep. let's do it. The black and blue division. I believe they're called, Steve. NFC Central. Yes. Is what we're doing here.
0: Yeah. little central.
1: Who's B- missing? The Bucs? They were in the Central, right?
0: Yeah, it's all the same four in the Bucks, right? All right, your NFC Central preview starts now alphabetically with the Chicago Bears. Are they the fan base that uh, hates us the most right now?
1: Probably. Yeah, every time we mention Trubisky, usually sours them. Yeah, quite a lot. There's some reasonable Bears fans about Trubisky out
0: there, but let's discuss their prospects now for 2019. It's it's a it's a good roster, top to bottom. Let's start up top and say they're good. Yes, it's a very good roster. It's also a roster that could easily, you know, a team that could regress as far as number of wins due to the ruined it. I did, yeah, due to the schedule. But even if you just look at the offensive line solid all around it's a good group of playmakers we said that going into last year it's a group of playmakers that um, has a bunch of unique skill sets that you know should mesh pretty well and I think they did with Matt Nagy Nagy was a top five play caller by our numbers and we essentially say you know how much offense is being created on say you know expected throws essentially that's one way of doing it they were really high I got another number on that later And then they had David Montgomery to the mix, so offensively uh, they're set up for success again. But a lot depends on Trubisky being a little bit more efficient on a throw for throw basis.
1: Yeah, they've added a couple of interesting players. There's a lot of players who I think don't know what to do with unique skill sets, and they become gimmick players. And it's just, eh, like at some point this guy's going to get the ball and end around, and you know maybe he'll do something, but that's it. And then there's other coaches who you think, okay, if you get him a unique talent, he'll figure out the way to use that guy, and you actually see something kind of special. So Cordero Patterson is the guy that's joined this team, and the Patriots, I think, are obviously one of those teams that understand how to use unique weapons, and we saw him kind of play more of a running back than he was a wide receiver in new england at times i think the bears with Nagy as well are another team that understands how to use unique weapons so now you've got patterson you've got taylor gabriel still there you add david montgomery you have Tariq cohen already in the backfield there's a lot of kind of crazy talented and really quite unique players in that group of um of skill position guys
0: and then Nagy will also throw five defensive players out there on the goal line just to really mess with the defense and say you know who's eligible who's ineligible you know what do you do so you know I like that idea of you know stealing a few plays here and there especially goal line two-point conversion type of plays Nagy's shown some creativity there he mentioned the offensive line Charles Leno and Bobby Massey they're just kind of like the epitome of average to above average tackles which is very very valuable in today's NFL Kyle Long a good right guard Cody Whitehair James Daniels at guard and center so you know, that's like a, a Steelers-ish type of offensive line, right? We always talk about the Steelers don't really have any major weaknesses in their starting five, Yeah, and the only potential stars may maybe D- David DeCastro
1: at his respective position. It's kind of how they are yeah. in Chicago. I don't think they're as good, but they're, it's the same idea. You know, they don't have the collection of dominant all pros and then a couple of, you know, questionable spots. It's a group of guys that are solid. Um, Kyle Long... I guess is probably the closest to a superstar player, um, but even he is, I think, hasn't quite played to the level of his reputation for most of his career. Uh, but yeah, that that line should be solid, and really, that's it's all it really needs to be. It's about giving this team a foundation to be good enough to do what they want to do on offense, which it should be.
0: And then when we talk about Trubisky, oh, he was he he was one of those guys where the grade was far lower than the traditional stats and even statistically he had two really high-end games the uh, against the bucks and against the lions uh two games where he was dominant statistically and graded really well for us as well but he just had um you know too many games where he was getting away with turnover worthy plays and um just wasn't great, <laughs> you know, at a lot of points in the season. So um, if you just look at his game grades, one game, week four, Bucks 93, week 10, 88.6, but a bunch of games in the 40s and 50s where I think when you just look at it, the stat that I wanted to pull out, we always talk about our zero graded throws, our expected throws. So that could be a pass to the flat, it could be a screen, whatever it might be. His EPA, Expected points added, so essentially how valuable was this particular play? Not necessarily the quarterback, but the play itself. EPA on expected throws, those zero-graded throws in our system, he went from one of the worst, the lowest, the least valuable on those particular passes in 2017 to one of the most valuable. It was the biggest jump that we saw in EPA on expected or zero-graded throws in, in, uh, from year to year. 2017 to 18 so essentially what that means is he was making the same throws in 18 versus 17 but either a guy was doing something with it with the ball in his hands or it was it was open you know so it was schemed up you know so it's it's an interpretation of what the scheme and or playmakers or the defense that he was going up against how poorly they played um so that's good for the bears that's that usually coincides with uh you well, know, with a good play caller, like a Matt Nagy. Yeah. But if you want Trubisky to be, to take that next step, so to speak, he's got to be more accurate.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I think the bottom line with Trubisky is he's still young, he's still inexperienced. We are in no way determining the cap on his performance yet. We could see him get significantly better, and everything's great. Um, well, all we're saying is that if you just look at box score numbers and passer rating and that kind of thing, you are not going to get an accurate interpretation of how Trubisky has played so far because he you get a guy like Matt Nagy who we are articulating is one of the best play callers and one of the best offensive um, brings with him one of the best offensive schemes in the NFL and that will make a player look better than he's actually playing or it will create more offense than that player's performance dictates should be created and that's essentially what you're seeing with Trubisky you're seeing the offense look better than his performance would dictate in any other sort of system because other things are propping it up. Um, So really the Chicago offense is all down to how much of a step Trubisky does take, because, you know, we've seen, we've talked about the offensive line should be solid. The skill position players are interesting and have some talent and should be a good fit within the system. The system is really good. The question is, can all of this thing all of this was true last year, and we were saying this this offense could be exciting if trubisky takes a step forward he didn 't and it was still good, but essentially the same thing is true this year it's everything is in place that if the quarterback just starts playing a bit better, we could see something spectacular
0: and, and I know bear 's fans are going to say, well, he did take a step forward, he got better um, no. he did play a little better down the stretch, you know and he did have you know, there, a lot of times they're looking at, you know, he had that nice game-winning drive against the Eagles where the kicker, you know, missed. Um, so he did a nice job there. There were definitely points where he played well, um, but the overall body work wasn't great. He was our highest-graded rushing quarterback. That was extremely valuable. Um, I do think, you know, QBR, where he finished third or fourth or whatever it is, does over overrate uh, rushing ability. They kind of equate it with air yards, but... You know, th- you know, a 10-yard run and 10 yards of uh, 10 air yards should not be, you know, they're not the equivalent because you know, 10 air yards can turn into a 20-yard gain, and you know, when it's thrown accurately.
1: Most of the narrative of he got better is due to the statistics, right? Most of which we're attributing to the system and the offense, right. and play calling, and Matt Nagy more than we are Mitch Trubisky. So his numbers got a lot better, but his performance didn't get that much better, if at all.
0: So. You know, he could still take a step forward. We'll, ta- we'll, we'll see what happens there. But I still think it's an offense that is going to be difficult to defend, difficult yeah. for opposing defenses. Um, if he can cut down on some of the, the uncatchable passes, he ranked 31st out of 35. In percentage of uncatchable throws just inaccurate uncatchable throws he did throw a higher percentage of passes down the field 10 plus yards but even on all those throws he was below average as far as um, accuracy goes so if he takes that step it's a difficult offense we don't talk too much about running backs but when you add David Montgomery a guy who at Iowa State ran behind a terrible offensive line and forced 100 missed tackles per season yeah you know that's potentially you know a key to this offense with all those other playmakers around there
1: yeah i mean he's basically broken tackles at a rate that we have never seen in either college or the nfl consistently which is weird i mean people don't tend to do that so yeah he's a pretty special talent to to watch he's he's a player that people struggle to get a clean shot on him he's extremely good at that like who no no He's extremely good at making short moves just before a guy comes in and make a hit, and then rolling off. Who used to do the that? hit? I don't know, Steve. I don't. I, I can't think of anyone. Um, and then he kind of rolls off the hit, so that you never get this full solid shot on him, and he just kind of keeps rolling. It's just, some of the runs are amazing to watch him do that. Um, but he should be a fun addition to this offense, along with you know Tariq Cohen, who's obviously one of those um, very difficult to defend. Weapons, whether it's on trick plays, whether it's on um, stretch plays, whether it's as a return man, whether it's in the passing game, so that combination could be pretty impressive, and they've got Mike Davis in there as well, so it's a strong backfield. It's a shame it doesn't matter. <laughs> so defensively,
0: uh, you know, it's tough. It's tough when you say, look, it's it's diff- it's difficult for a defense to duplicate top-notch performance year over year the 2017 Jaguars are a prime example Vikings same Vikings 2017 to 18 I mean well the Jags in particular last year when when our preseason analysis on the Jags was okay they didn't lose anybody right they still have a loaded pass rush they still have a loaded back seven but you know your success is often dependent on who you're playing offensively so I think the Bears my biggest concern about potential regression for the defense is you know, how, you know, defensive coordinator switch, you know, so, um, losing Fangio, who, you know, I think, I think really meshed with this defense. We were, we were in the middle of 2017 saying sneakily, even though the Bears aren't winning games, this is one of the better defenses in the NFL. Yeah. In fact, Fangio was doing a really nice job there. And I think one of the things that they did really well. Was use their safeties in creative ways And they were just really Good at communicating passing off routes In the back end so does that Change this year I think that's my biggest question Talent is still there obviously Khalil Mack Up front he had all those forced fumbles last year. He I mean, made a ton of big plays. Their actual corners, you know, Kyle Fuller, Prince of Amukamara, solid uh, across the board. They're losing Bryce Callahan for Buster Screens, probably a downgrade in the slot yep. in a pretty valuable position. Adrian Amos for Ha Ha clinton Dinks. I know, again, I'm always speaking to Bears fans, but they think that at one point we said Adrian Amos is the best safety in the league. Like we never, never said that. Yeah, he's always, but he's been one of our highest graded guys because he didn't screw up a whole lot. Right, and he made a few plays, made some nice plays. Um, but that could be a wash, based, you know.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it could be a downgrade. It's interesting. It's I close. think those two guys end up grading. It's like the quarterback conversation. They end up grading kind of the same, but I think they get there in dramatically different ways. Yeah. So, as you said, is calling card is he doesn't make the mistakes. Like he's just solid all the time. He's he's he typifies safety in terms of the position, yeah. right? His job Devin is McCourty just, type, right? Just go out there, always be in the right place, and don't make a mess of it, and you're good. Whereas Clinton Dix, I think, makes more big plays, but always has this reputation of not quite giving it his all sometimes. And there's plays where he's just not really interested, and he'll cause some big plays because of that. Right. And I think they kind of net out to the same kind of grade, and the question is, which one would you prefer? The guy that consistently – it's like the Belichick thing, right? Do you want seven every single play out of ten, or do you want the guy that will go from ten to four to two to seven right. to ten again? Like, I I think a lot of people would prefer or may end up preferring Amos after you see a year of Clinton Dix, even if he makes a few more plays. Then you've got, you know, Roquan Smith in the middle,
0: year two, we're yeah. expecting a leap from him, very athletic in the middle of the defense. So very talented defense. I just I just have concerns that you've got natural regression from being the top defense in the league and, you know, a new a new system. And again, the thing about a system isn't We're going to call the same plays. We're going to call cover two and cover four and six. It's about when you do it. But also, I think the teaching and communication aspect. You know, I think you know there's different styles for different coaches, so there could be some question marks there. So all that said, where do we have the Bears this year?
1: I mean, I think this whole division is kind of wide open. I think there's three teams that will be really chasing hard for the playoffs and one that probably won't.
0: Its, I think the narrative that we had last year is the NFC is tough, and it's going to be really tough to separate them. And I think that's the same thing this year. Um, we do have the Bears' favorite opening night. Uh, not only favorite, but favorite to cover, I believe, in PFF Green Line. I believe Ooh. we put
1: that out. Live. It's live. It Green is Line live. is live. It's also with college football for the first time. That's right. It is. I tell you what. So we got. There was a lot of feedback about Green Line last year, right? Essentially, the way it works—if you don't know—Green Line is our gambling product, and it's okay. It's a wagering, uh, waging, wagering, product. waging, betting, whatever. You the the act of placing money down on the outcome of a football match and hoping to see a larger sum of money returned. It's a game, whatever. Um, and we were essentially leveraging the PFF data to try and predict the outcome better than the odds makers. Um, and what we did last year was he essentially showed you the Vegas odds, showed you what PFF's number said, and then just depending on whether they were a big enough difference apart, we said, okay, this is a pick. You should you pick this game. The numbers say you should. People kind of complained, and there was this idea that if you if, – if we, we never suggested how, how you should up your bets, depending on the, all that kind of stuff, right? So what we're doing now is – we're essentially putting all the information out there and saying, you, you make your pick. We're not going to tell you which games to pick. We're going to show you the numbers. You can decide what the difference is, what the risk tolerance you're comfortable with, and we'll give you the percentage chance that they're going to cover. So we're not just saying we're, we differ from Vegas by two, but we're going to give you the, the odds of that number covering. Yeah. So it just makes the whole experience an awful lot easier for you to navigate and understand what all those numbers mean. And we added college where like we have a better database than anybody else so that you know the margins the difference between so it's us, like
0: 60 70 extra games you
1: can 60, wager 70 on. extra games plus they're ones that we know a lot more about than most people because, right because you know there's a few other people out there that have some level of nfl information not as good as ours obviously but college landscape is way more chaotic there's far less info out there and yet so, we're still grading every single player in every single game
0: so check it out all part of your pff elite package do we give the discount here yes are we allowed to yeah 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 is it pff 25 i believe is so. that the one we're going to give to our sure listeners so pff 25 it. gets to get you 25 percent off anything yes it does at pff.com so Greenline is an elite
1: so we'll get you 25 percent off edge but if you're looking for edge for Greenline, you're going to be disappointed and
0: you can try it out for a month if you really want to yeah, yeah, elite yeah. monthly isn't a good you know you start it now you'll have it through you know the late month. september yeah for a month all right let's move on to the detroit lions uh, so the similar to what i said about the baltimore ravens the other day i am really interested in teams that take kind of extreme stances to see how they play out in the li- so the ravens their extreme stance is run heavy offense and a defense that maybe gave up some pass rush to cover on the back end we've got some extremes going there the lions extreme is building a team to run the football I mean, they want to run, run, run. They've Almost every move that they've made over the last two years has essentially been with an eye toward improving their running game yeah. or improving their run defense. Uh, and so. I want to see how this one plays out with... Detroit they've made other things that might help the pass game too they've done other things as well but for the most part they're like hey man we gotta we gotta run the football
1: I'm kind of with you right in that I'm really intrigued by teams that do things in a completely different way like the Ravens I was always a huge fan of the triple option teams in college sure like I love Georgia Tech purely because they ran a triple option and nobody you know nobody other than the military academies essentially did right and it was just something different and it's fun to watch that happen but I for for me to buy into that There needs to be a kind of, you know, a a legitimate core plan and principle at at stake, right? This is what we're doing, and this is why we're doing it, and this is the thing that we're attempting. This is the way we're trying to beat people. So with Baltimore, it's because we draft this quarterback who is a special talent, just not necessarily as a passer of the ball, right? He is Mm -hmm. an incredible athlete, can do some crazy things. We can make this amazing offense with him as our quarterback if we build it around him. But in order to do that, we're going to have to do something different than everybody else is doing right now, and that's cool. The Lions seem to be just like, you know what? Everybody else is doing this thing, so let's do something different to be different. I, I think while everybody else is— I don't think they're trying to be different, though. I think, that, I think there's a few teams right now that are basically trying to guess when to zag when everyone else is zigging, here's, hoping they get it right when you're ahead of the curve. Here's, part,
0: here's two things, right? This reminds me quite a bit of the Falcons. And the ironic part, this was the Falcons when Thomas Dimitrov left New England, goes to take the GM job in Atlanta. And we talked about this back then. We were doing a podcast seven or eight years ago, Sam. And we said, look, man, they're building a team like it's the mid-80s right now. They're getting, you know, Puha. Did they get? Was it him? Yeah. I mean, they're getting all these big run-stopping types, right? Tyson, Jackson. They're getting all these guys that can stop the run. And it's like, man, we know that you got to stop the pass in this league. And they yeah. couldn't stop the pass, and they couldn't throw the ball as efficiently as they could because they didn't have enough weapons around Julio Jones as Roddy White got older. Then when they started to get good, it was when Matt Ryan became— uh, his passing output became better, essentially, because of all the weapons around him. He didn't really play that much better. And they started to cover better. You know, They started to get the Deion Jones types and you know, Desmond Trufant and better coverage players. This is very similar where you have a a former Belichick disciple and Bob Quinn in Detroit building a team with Matt Patricia, another Belichick disciple, basically on a team that won New England. They won because they could do anything, but ultimately they won because they could pass and stop the pass. I mean, that's the reality of it, right? And Detroit's going and saying, we're going to run the ball, stop the run. And and it's kind of like, I understand too, you know, they've... Matthew Stafford's never truly had a running game right so they're like well Stafford's never had a running game they've never won anything therefore we got to do something different yeah and I think the zig and zag thing it's kind of like the the running back target thing that's you know everybody's talking about on our twitter machine basically running back targets are far less valuable than receiver and tight end targets which makes sense intuitively but even when you put running backs in favorable positions against linebackers it's still maybe not the best play so this reminds me of well the league's getting smaller we're gonna yeah we're gonna run against it but sometimes having the favorable matchup doesn't actually lead to the best result so in other words having a running back on a linebacker in the passing game while it's good good coaching right that's what you try to do is get this matchup it still might not be as good as just a wide receiver cornerback matchup which on in you know
1: on film or in the playbook it doesn 't look as favorable it, this feels to me a lot like you know imagine you 're going on a big family road trip you know we 've got four or five cars in action we 're going a long distance we 're going we leave the house everyone 's in a convoy the, the road forks, and everybody goes left because that 's the way right. But you're traveling with the old granddad in the back. He's like, you know what? Head right. It's a shortcut. We'll just, you know, we'll cut across. We'll, we'll cut out that town. It'll be way quicker. And then you spend like nine hours lost in the brush because you took the slower way. And you're when going. Everyone else just went the way. The, and the other guys are going seven yards at a time. You're going three yards right. at a time. It just feels like the Lions are the team with the guy in the back who's going, no, no, no. Go right. I know everyone's going left. Trust me. We're right. They're wrong. And, you know, everyone, everyone going left is going to be able to pass the ball, stop the pass, and win games, and the Lions are going to be concentrating on getting tougher against the run, and they're going to be lost in now, back hours of nowhere for hours at a time.
0: I was talking to George about this recently. Last year, the Lions had their best running game. Yeah. In a while. I mean, they goal achieved.
1: I mean, they did the same thing last year. Like, as soon as Patricia got there, everything was about the run. This is a, oh, this is like I'm, the I'm talking year of it.
0: I'm, I'm saying this has been a two-year deal. Yeah. This has been a two-year project here, um, but ultimately, it just—if your quarterback can get good passing production, you just have a better chance of winning. This was the number that stood out to me last year. So, in a year that the Lions offensively kind of achieved what they wanted to do from a run game perspective, they were more efficient. Their offensive line was better. Carryon Johnson was a find as far as like he's pretty good second round running back we
1: need like a hot button for the podcast where anytime anybody says carry on johnson that kansas line comes on oh yeah, yeah. right we need yeah we get tyler on that switch switchboard got a hot anyone
0: button? um so here's the stat that really stood out to me matthew stafford big armed gunslinger had the fourth lowest average depth of completion so how far down the field his completions were going through the air fourth lowest of the last three years so Joe Flacco, 2017, was the lowest. Alex Smith, yeah. 2016. Sam Bradford, 2016, when he set the completion percentage record that lasted two years, when he was you know one of the you know lowest average depth of targets, and then Stafford in 2018, and then Roethlisberger, 2018, actually. So lowest depth of completion for a Matthew Stafford that at his best, I always say it has these three or four games where he looks like a top three quarterback can do anything, right? So are you? You know neutering Matthew Stafford who can That's how that's how Neil always He always says neutering yeah when you take A gunslinger and you <laughs> Is that a lot his balls
1: off I didn't say that that's what it is that's what You said I said neutering that's what neutering Is yeah but if there's like a Professional a nice way of to, saying it yeah okay. a Professional
0: way to say it I'll like just Barker used to always what, say.
1: what you're talking about
0: here Yeah well they made him more conservative
1: <laughs> So do you, yeah Um what are your thoughts On all that I mean, my thoughts generally are I don't think it's going to work. I think what we've learned from teams that have taken a stab at this, getting tougher against the run, establishing the run harder, grind teams, it's just not working right now. You can't delete. People have – (laughs) so defense has developed along the years of sort of essentially figuring out what offense is doing and devising ways of stopping it, right? This whole defensive techniques, gap, integrity, all that kind of stuff – Teams kind of figured out how to stop the run. In theory, conceptually, it's not that hard. You just put a body in each gap, and now there's nowhere to go, right? And once players got of a certain size and strength, it got very difficult to create those gaps where gaps were originally taken up by bodies, right? You need to do an awful lot to move a player out of a gap physically in order to get a running back in there behind him. And have them exploit the hole. On the other hand, it doesn't take that much to have one fast player run past another fast player into a gap that's already there and just pass the ball. The reason it wasn't done in the past is because, like, everybody's accuracy at all, that was just bad. So quarterbacks weren't that great at hitting a guy 12 yards away from them. Now quarterbacks can do that in their sleep. It isn't the tricky challenge. What used sixty percent completion rate used to be like an amazing, but it's unattainable not just quarterbacks, feat.
0: It's the rules of the game. it's, right, it's having three steps
1: the idea of sixty percent completion used to be like a figment of your imagination. Now it's like a bad season by somebody. Yeah, but, but I think that's more rules than the quarterback. The point is this: that's not reversing, right? It, it, Defenses aren't going to forget how to stick a guy in the gap, stick your testicles in the C gap. You're not going to forget how to do that. You're not. It's innate. It happens. You understand how to shut down deep. Running is not going to become the way to win games without changing the dynamic somehow. You can't just go back to 1985 football and think, well, because nobody else is doing it this is going to win.
0: I, I do think, going back to what we said a lot last year, it doesn't hurt to have an efficient running game. And if you look at the running game as like 20 to 25% of your offense rather than 50 to 60% of your offense, yeah. then, then it's different, right? Because what you want your running game to do is when the defense is so light in the box, steal the six yards. Yes. Right? Steal six yards when it's there. You know, get to the right check when it's there. Right. But when you force when you say that's it we got to instill some toughness here's an eight man box we're going to run into it yes
1: and you know when that's you, the problem you know when you're never going to see that light box what's that when you load up with this heavy run for yeah when you've got a million tight ends i need to run, i need to establish the run then you're never going to see a six man box so, let's, so you're never going to pick that up
0: so let's discuss the lions in particular because even though they've done all this stuff for the run game my question is do they actually have the pieces to have an efficient pass game and to stop the pass and maybe sneak into some wins. Because I do think they've got some pieces there. Yes. Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, add Danny Amendola as a slot receiver. And they add TJ Hawkinson, who was the best all-around tight end. It doesn't hurt that he's a good run blocker. But it's even better that he can run the seam, yep. has good uh, route running ability, and you know, catches the ball pretty efficiently. Two yes. drops in his he's, career. Yeah. So that helps the pass game. And then defensively, Darius Slay still one of the best corners in the NFL. Opposite him, though, Major question marks for uh, CB2, right? Is it Justin Coleman? Is he just going to be a slot player that paid him a lot of money? He's a solid slot, but
1: T's Tabor? You just dropped CB2. Like CB2, it's a, yeah. That's a thing. Yeah, cornerback two. Oh, I know what it means, but that's, yeah. that's quite. That's what quite we do. Awesome. It's like right? fantasy
0: speak. Yeah. All our fantasy elite customers. Huh. Okay. So, yeah, I agree with cornerback you. Cornerback two, Rashawn Melvin, Jalen T's Tabor. That is a major major question mark it is um and yeah for a team by the way that played as much you know like the patriots played as much man as anybody last year yes
1: so that is one interesting area for them on the back end and then you've got the front end which is i'm kind of endlessly fascinated by this collection of players they've assembled which are all big bodied run stuffers who have got an abnormal amount of pass rush given what we've seen from them in the past Um, You know, guys like Deshaun Hand kind of exploded out of nowhere. Now, I know he was a big recruit, right, Steve? Yeah.
0: We've seen a few five-star recruits who underachieved in college in recent years actually have a pretty good start to their NFL career, including your boy Byron Cowart.
1: Yes. So... Hand was one of those. He kind of comes out of nowhere. Did not look like he was a dominant player in the making at Alabama, but steps on, has a really impressive um nfl career so far can does that continue or do we just see a, like a weird run yeah. of play that happens sometimes um i, I kind of have that question of a few of those players up front and then you have trey flowers the big addition who actually does bring a legitimate amount of pressure but he's a guy that's always been best moving all around that line rushing from the inside what happens if you just stick him on the outside and say you're our pure edge rusher because the other guys are big bodies inside
0: yeah he's solid there but like you said at his best it's more michael bennett type of role where he can move and then mike daniels you know has a chance he'll be their best interior rusher
1: most likely So i mean the inside is is it's tough to find snaps for um for trey flowers inside because got a ton of those guys now
0: big snacks they just extended an extra year the best run stopper in the nfl i do think in today's nfl when teams are trying to spread to run a guy like big snacks is extremely valuable if you can if you you don't you don't necessarily want to put a ton of resources into stopping the run but as far as uh putting players in the box because then you give up more in the pass game but if you have a guy that can stop the run and actually finish plays like he does in and around the line of scrimmage with fewer players in the box that is valuable in today's nfl
1: that that i think is key is being able to so the the two-gap Defenders have kind of gone the way of the dodo. Most, Almost none of them exist anymore. You know, we go back the decade, whatever. There used to be a lot of defenses that played legitimate two-gap defense. Right. Right? So by that, you mean big defensive linemen, three of them that would play either gap. They're going to play head up and... So instead of everybody picking a gap, you've got three bodies up front that are defending two gaps, essentially, which frees up the people behind them to make plays. Um, Most of those guys have gone now because one-gap defense is what everybody is running, essentially. But there are players still in the league that can two-gap, even if it's not their primary responsibility. And that becomes really valuable because you can, in theory, take a guy out of the box and dedicate him to the pass game. Relying on the fact that a guy like Snacks can still defend two gaps up front and fix the math again, right? Yeah. So instead of having one guy in one A-gap, a linebacker, say, in an A-gap, and ha- Snacks in the other A-gap, you could lose that linebacker, replace him with a defensive back, say, Snacks, you're now defending both A-gaps, stuff this run, and you, you win mathematically, right? So you can, do, you can lean towards the pass more and still be able to defend the run well because of a guy like Harrison, and he can do that. You watch those outside zone plays, he can basically dominate the center either side of him and win that you're right that is still valuable even if general play against the run is not as valuable
0: yeah so I think my point with the Lions is even though a lot of their team building moves have helped the run game especially in year one this past year Trey Flowers Mike Daniels TJ Hawkinson Danny Amendola all have you know their pass game should be better both on, on both sides of the ball in part because of those guys, or it could be better in part because of those guys, even if they're run first type of players. All that said, I do think the lions have the worst roster yeah. in this division. I don't
1: think they're going to suck. Um, I just don't think they're going to be battling for the division win with the other three teams. I think is that's, that's fair. fair. Yeah. Good. This show today is brought to you by audible. Start listening with a 30 day audible trial and your first audiobook Plus two audible originals are free. Visit audible.com slash PFF or text PFF to 500, 500. Big fan of Audible. I'm a, I'm a big fan of listening to these audiobooks generally because you get them in the car, on the way into the office, in traffic, and those are lifesavers, game changers. And what I've been listening to recently is by one of my favorite NFL writers, a guy called Nate Jackson, who used to be a tight end for the Denver Broncos. He has a book called Slow Getting Up, which is uh, on Audible right now. I've been listening to that. It's a, really a fantastic take into the life of his, the end of his playing career, You know, getting hit with concussions, dealing with all that when he was playing football. So that's my recommendation. I think that's an amazing book to listen to. But you've got a ton of stuff you can get on Audible. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash PFF or text PFF to 500-500.
0: All right, let's move on to the Green Bay Packers. Another fascinating story this year, right? There's uh, a lot of "Is Aaron Rodgers elite?" articles coming out there. My I answers. went so I went so far to say I put him in tier two, even though yeah, it's just fine line. Wow, our number four quarterback in our rankings. You know, Rodgers still had a very good season when he threw the ball down the field last year but just far too many negative plays took too many sacks will he take to a new scheme that by all accounts should scheme up some more open plays for him yeah Um, I don't think Mike McCarthy's scheme as far as if you're just looking at like percentage of open throws it wasn't disastrous it wasn't like Rodgers had nobody open at all but there might be some easier passes for him I think as much of an issue is figuring out who's he going to throw to besides Devontae Adams no matter who's calling the plays you still want to have More reliable playmakers for him, so it's going to be a big year there. Uh, And then defensively, second year with Mike Pettin uh, and some very unique pieces. As far as we talk about Trey Flowers moving around, the Packers can do that with almost everybody in their front seven. A lot of versatile, multi-gap type of type of players. What are you thinking about the Packers this year?
1: So I'm I'm just fascinated by the Rodgers dynamic because whatever about how good he is i'm way more interested in the type of player he is and what that means um I, he is in a way as pathologically conservative as alex smith it just manifests itself in a completely different way so he will still throw incredible passes deep down the field in the way alex smith basically never does um but he has one of the best interception rates at the best interception rate of all time um he's takes more sacks than pretty much any other quarterback. He led the NFL last year and led the, the higher figure we've ever seen in terms of throwaways. So what you're seeing is he's basically, he is a guy that does not want to throw a risky pass, but instead um, will do everything in his power to avoid those, So whether it's take a sack, whether it's throw the ball away, but still makes a lot of big plays because the stuff that he deems an acceptable risk, he's incredible at right so you see yeah. him play the game in a really different way than any other quarterback essentially and then i think you had that, that compounding with mike mccarthy's offense which didn't help right it wasn't scheming guys open it wasn't giving you a sort of it wasn't giving you the matt naggy design plays that will boost what he's already doing if anything it was going the other way and it was it was magnifying the problem so you had a quarterback that already kind of skews conservative and then you're basically forcing him into thinking every play is too risky and now you're making him do all kinds of crazy things that so we're going to see some of that disappear right the mike mccarthy stuff is gone now you have an offense that should be helping him now the question is, how much can he let go and actually become the player he should be?
0: But we also saw Lafleur last year call plays for Marcus Mariota, and it's not like... And we kind of said the same thing. Oh, Mariota's got a new play caller. They're going to run outside zone. They're going to run play action off it. They're going to run bunches, and he's going to have an easier time of it and maybe put up his best statistical season, which he didn't even come close to doing. And he had a game where he got sacked 87 times. Yeah. Was it 12? 12, 12 times against the the Ravens. Right.
1: So, but the difference there is that Mariota's not very good, whereas... Aaron Rodgers is really good.
0: No, I know, but when we're talking about a play caller, you're you are you're talking about, like with, with Trubisky, we're like, hey, Matt Nagy, the play caller, got an, a higher level of production yeah. out of this guy's baseline. Aaron Rodgers' baseline is way higher than Marcus Mariota, but will you be able to get that production out of him? Because it's not like there weren't any schemed open plays. There's plenty of plays where they ran their slant-flat combo a million times and he just didn't take the slant and then rolled out and tried to make a big play. We also saw him week one against the Bears when he had that injury. He couldn't move, right. sat in the pocket, got rid of the ball in 2.2 seconds, and picked them apart. Yes. He's always been capable of doing this. And the underlying point with quarterback play, every, hashtag every play counts, Sam. Right. Okay. That's why we do it. That's why okay. we grade every single play. So if you drop back 700 times in a season, it's not necessarily about your 30 to 40 big-time throws, which Aaron Rodgers certainly has in him. It's about the hundreds of expected throws, open throws under 5 yards take all of them make good decisions don't put he never puts the ball in harm's way like you right. said but can we turn those sacks and throwaways into more efficient plays you know that's to me the big question this year for
1: Rodgers yeah it's amazing the ways in which he finds to sort of skew conservative because it kind of hides it, it's obvious that I, that Alex Smith is that kind of player right because the ball just right. doesn't travel more than 10 yards from the line of scrimmage and it's like ah oh, look there's captain checkdown over there playing QB all safe-like without putting the ball in harm's way. It's easy to see. But Rogers still attacks deep down the field. He's still got those, you know, Hail Marys in his arsenal. His numbers when aiming 15 or more yards down the field are absolutely absurd. They're like 35 big-time throws so like one turnover-worthy play. But it's because the ball isn't going to the areas that are risky, that are that something bad might well, he, happen.
0: He makes downfield throws against man coverage, right? Not and necessarily he's targeting in the zones,
1: and, and he's not putting the ball that as much in the middle of the field. The intermediate middle
0: So the intermediate middle is the most efficient pass in the NFL, right. but it's also dangerous. It's a little bit more dangerous. It's most efficient. That was what Carson Palmer, his right. big year in 2015. Had you know 75 percent completions. That was insane. Um, and that's where Rodgers doesn't like to throw the and ball that's its the line.
1: key right is that in order to be in order to hit that really elite crazy level you need to be targeting that area and you need to maximize the efficiency of those plays that's the place rogers doesn't want to put the ball because he knows it's risky stuff like it's chaos in there random things can happen balls can bounce wherever and somebody's going to pick one off you're going to look like an idiot right and quarterbacks just have to kind of suck that up and deal with it because it's worth the payoff for all the big plays you're going to make rogers doesn't want to do that and skews away from it i'm really fascinated to see in a new offense with a new coach saying look i'm not going to deal with this crap put the ball where it should go if he's ever going to do it or if he's just going to be Aaron Rodgers and he'll be good, not great for it's, the rest of his career.
0: So it's a massive story this year. You get to see him against the Bears in that tough defense in week one. Around him, Devontae Adams has been fantastic. I think mm-hmm. when you talk about releases off the line of scrimmage, you were talking about Doug Baldwin now retiring. Now you've got Keenan Allen. But Devontae Adams
1: has to be right up there with those guys. Top three right now are in some order. De- Devontae, what the hell is his name? Adams. 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 What? Geez. Wow. Not enough coffee this morning, Steve. Really uh, Devontae not. Adams, um, Adam Thielen, and Keenan Allen. And Keenan I think Allen. those three have absolutely spectacular releases off the line of scrimmage, which is interesting because at least two of the three like are not that spectacular athletes. Like They win right away and get wide the hell open. Right.
0: So Adams is the guy that uh, you know Rodgers trusts the most. I, so for all the throwaways and everything we were talking about last year, there were also a ton of miscommunications where it's yep. uh, uh, last year's rookies, Marquez Valdez-Scantling or uh, Equinemia St. Brown, these guys that they brought in you know, he's expecting them to run at 12 yards and they're taking it to 14, you know, and and so being not on the same page with some of those younger receivers, he needs one of those guys to emerge. We've seen flashes from Valdez Scantling, flashes from Geronimo Allison, uh, Jake Kumaro. I mean, they're not big names, but you just need one guy to really emerge or two guys to emerge and at least be just dependable. They're going to be in the right place at the right time. The tight ends jimmy graham you know I, we thought we expected a little bit more from him last year especially got you know big body that Rodgers can throw up and away from but in it, the red zone in the middle of the field um and jay sternberger who i love coming out i thought he was the second best tight end at, in the draft behind hawkinson third round pick if they you know give him an opportunity he can run the seam do some stuff after the catch and then aaron jones has you know the the green bay running attack on a play-by-play basis has been extremely efficient from an EPA standpoint. And it always goes back to our point, you don't need to load the box with seven tight ends to do it. You, just, you have a great passer that the defense has to respect. You spread it out a little bit, you run, and Aaron Jones has really taken advantage of that. So, again, the offense should be fine. I think it still always comes down to what Rodgers right. wants to do within the scheme. Right,
1: and last year was kind of a perfect storm for Rodgers in terms of injured, young receivers, offense stagnating ever more. Like it was just getting worse and worse, right? So that's kind of the worst version of this narrative that you're going to see hence leading here's, all time in throwaways etc but the general trend is real and but has here's been the big picture
0: years. sorry the big picture view of rogers 20 he's had bouts of the best quarterback play we've ever seen 2011 2014 late 2016 since 2014 though we had a stretch in 2015 where things just didn't look right there was the early 2016 stretch before the run things didn't look right and it was a lot of not taking what the scheme gave him 2017 he wasn't great he graded at 79 before his injury and then last year there were times where it just didn't look right it also there were games where he played fine but he had a fourth quarter comeback opportunity and it's a third and two and he's throwing the ball in the dirt like just the bad throws at the wrong time yeah so that's essentially what's happened can he reverse this trend we've seen him do it before and then defensively i think this front seven's really Fascinating.
1: Yeah. He's got some really impressive players on it. Um Kenny Clark is emerging of one of the most dominant interior forces in the NFL. He's one of those he's the rare nose tackle that's incredible against the run but can still get after the quarterback yep. enough to really make him valuable. Um and then they add up they add these edge rushing bodies, right? They've kind of struggled the past few years getting pressure on the edge. They went hard after it in free agency. You bring in a Preston Smith you bring in as a Darius smooth you can play on the edge and inside you bring in a Rashawn Gary in the draft you can play on the edge and inside so how that how that group shakes out as a pass rushing force is going to be interesting to watch yeah I don't don't
0: know you know Gary's off to a slow start especially compared to Chase Winovich his Michigan teammate strange it is odd we'll let it play out though we will let it play out but we said in the draft maybe Gary's better off as a three technique, at least in nickel packages. I think they do want to develop him as an edge defender. Need to see that athleticism transfer. Dean Lowry's just, you know, solid, long player up front, Montrevius Adams. So it's a solid front. Oren Burks, big year for him, man. I loved him when he was you a safety. He really did, yeah. When he was a safety at Vanderbilt. I think it was him and P.J. Walker. Temple versus Vandy, the first game I ever graded for college now back in PJ 2014. NFL jokes. But then, you know, the secondary... Has another group of fascinating pieces, J.R. Alexander has a chance to you know, get into that top 20 cornerback conversation, I think, this year, the, his playmaking skills. Um, Darnell Savage, we loved Yeah, at safety. They bring over the solid Adrian Amos. Their second first-rounder, uh, Adrian Amos, of course. And then I think their number two corner spot is going to be a major question mark as well.
1: Well, yeah, they're, a team, they're another team with that major question mark at the number two corner spot, but they've at least got potential answers they've got bodies there right you know we you look at the lions group and you're like it's i'm struggling to see a number two emerge from that group that will be not a problem whereas the packers you can see guys you can see the potential for at least two or three of those players coming out of that and being solid number two corners they just haven't done it yet
0: here's here's the difference in how the lions and the packers have built their team the last two years the packers in 2018 drafted J.R. alexander and josh jackson with their first two picks mm-hmm. a year after those are two corners a year after getting kevin king with their second pick a corner yep. josh jones with a second round pick a safety they're getting even though he's more of a box type player but they are trying to build outside in and then this year they added all the pass rushers but there are no they didn't add anybody to their team that's going to like improve their run game really No, And now it doesn't mean that you're going to hit on everybody. And then this year you add Darnell Savage, right? Yeah. All of these coverage type players. So you've thrown four, five, six darts at corners and safeties in the draft the last couple of years. And if all you get out of it is Jair Alexander, Darnell Savage, and one other guy emerge, it's worth it. Because now you've got, you know, three strong players in the secondary,
1: to stop the pass in the past first league. And this is a great example of why you need to throw that many darts at it. For sure. Because they're not going to work out, right? We don't know of any of those. Um, I mean, Jair, Jair Alexander looks like the one sort of surefire bet from that group. But outside of that, Kevin King has struggled. Josh Jackson has struggled. Like, th- this hasn't been a good group, given how much they've thrown at it. Um, doesn't mean it won't be, because they're all still young. But... <laughs> you need to throw a lot of resources at getting that much better in the secondary because the secondary is really hard to get right, even just from a drafting point of view. Just seen some news come through. Trying, oh
0: yeah? to, trying to digest breaking it. news. No, no, it's not breaking. Okay. So Packers, what are you expecting this year, man?
1: Right, they will be one of the three teams that are challenging for this division that aren't the Lions.
0: Okay, so the other team that's going to be challenging, I've deduced Uh uh-huh minnesota vikings well done yes how about that Uh uh-huh so the vikings another so they are not necessarily in roster building from a roster building standpoint but from a what the coaches are saying standpoint they want to run the ball yeah and then our guy austin gale is posting a lot of you know personnel uh, you know information as far as last year versus this year what the, what's going on in the preseason running a lot more two wide receiver sets yeah in minnesota so are they going from more of a spread look to more of a let's compact it let's run the ball a little bit more gary kubiak's in there as a consultant anytime you hear kubiak's name you get that outside zone scheme and kubiak has a history other than peyton manning of elevating quarterbacks and creating open throws the same thing that a McVay has done same thing that um has happened with Kirk Cousins in in his system even with McVay so what is going to happen offensively with Minnesota
1: so I think conceptually I've kind of railed against bits of this offense in the past this idea of you know two wide receivers out in pass patterns restrict the options of the quarterback etc this is what my argument was when North Turner was there that essentially forced Teddy Bridgewater into being a check-down quarterback because they didn't have the receivers to get open. They didn't have the options that there was somebody open and the offensive line was bad enough that it just hemorrhaged, right? But when you put that as part of this Kubiak-type system, it makes more sense because you don't need that many players in pass patterns because you're essentially—it's all coming off this wide— Um, outside zone action that needs to show run first and kind of look like a run play. Um, And then the other thing I think that meshes now is that they at least have receivers. Okay, they've only got two of them, but that's handy because now you only need two of them in patterns. They've really struggled to find a third wide receiver, which is weird because the rest of the league seems to be finding slot receivers grow on trees. The Vikings can't find a third guy to go alongside Dillon um, or Thigs and Dillon, Dillon and I knew knew that was coming at some point. Um, They haven't been able to find that third guy, so maybe this is actually the perfect group for them.
0: I don't don't mind their top four receivers being... Phelan, Diggs, Rudolph, and then Irv Smith. That's what I'm saying. So you have
1: two wide receivers in pass patterns. You now start using a ton of the tight ends in the passing game with this motion, with, you know, cross movement, with all this kind of stuff. You still have running backs out of the backfield. I think this system, even though it contains elements of things that I don't like, I think actually meshes really well with this personnel group. And works well as an offense
0: and then you know they draft Garrett Bradbury in the first round to play center which at the time we said look we would have preferred an Andre Dillard a pass protecting left tackle but if they are going to run that outside zone a lot more he is fantastic as far as just pure zone blocking kind of reminded of Jason Kelsey who you know that's that's his block you know the reach block getting out in space that type of thing Bradbury is fantastic at that it pushes Pat Elfline to guard maybe you get a little bit more out of him there brian O'Neill's a nice athletic right tackle um, riley reef you know should be the epitome of average can they improve because you know they've taken a few steps forward but is this going to be enough offensively
1: yeah it's not that the bradbury pick is a bad one it's just that it feels like a missed opportunity to get a player like dillard who could be you know a franchise left tackle and it really looks great, great right and really it. solve some problems i think bradbury will be a good player it's just that if the two of them are the same level of good dillard would have been the better pick um and so far that kind of looks like what it is you know the the case Al line at guard I, I think is still going to be a bad player but you know okay um riley reef could be interesting because he's had stretches in his career where he's been okay and this system it, it tends to get the it tends to be a quarterback friendly system but it also tends to be an offensive line-friendly system because you're not asking them to do as many straight dropbacks where you're pass-rushing or pass-protecting against an edge rusher who knows it's coming. It's all, you know, it's, it's that run-action stuff. You're setting up these easier blocks of those tackles. Riley Reef could actually have a career year in this system and suddenly not be a problem at left tackle, in which case that line, it starts, it's creeping back toward average, See, Creeping back toward average. And if you're going to have one weak link, like, if, if four guys are okay and, and the fifth is a problem, left guard is the best spot to have the problem. So everything it's on true. paper is heading in the right direction.
0: And then I know we're not supposed to talk about the differences in running backs and all that stuff, but I am a huge fan of Dalvin Cook. You are. And I do think when he does have health, when he's healthy, uh-huh. when he's out there, explosive. He has patience. He can make guys miss. He really does have it all. And I think he could be better than any of the running backs that have come
1: out over the last couple years, including Zeke and, you know, the guys that get a lot of publicity. We seem to be saying this quite a lot, but this is a talented backfield. It's just a shame we don't care anymore. Um, Dalvin Cook is good. I think Alexander Madison has looked really impressive. And then Mike Boone keeps impressing every single preseason. He does. He should, at this point, I mean, as much as people keep wanting to rediscover the Nebraska Amir Abdullah, I would get rid of everybody except those 03 on this roster in terms of running backs. I think Boone has earned the third job um, and has looked impressive. All right.
0: Now let's discuss Kirk Cousins because what we said last year, very simply, he played incredibly under pressure at the beginning of the year. And then that, as expected, regressed. And if you just split his season essentially into two, that was kind of the story of why, you know, he couldn't really. You know, make as many plays
1: in the second half. Yeah, played unsustainably well in the face of pressure, and uh, the unsustainable thing ceased to be sustained. So yes, make perfect sense. Um, I honestly, Kirk Cousins last year was the player that he. Everybody, it's, it's the same guy, right? The same guy we've seen every single year of him starting. It's not a shock that that's what you got. It, Kirk Cousins, I think, is just a frustrating player one because he got the giant contract, so he's ev- he's forever going to be compared to that and found wanting and two because he's just inconsistent almost across the board right sometimes he drops insane dimes that are incredible plays and then the next time he won't take a shot that looks like an obvious completion and instead checks it down or does the one of those weird like brain fart plays where he throws, throws the ball, the ball backwards away for backwards yeah it's like it's just a frustrating so, quarterback but we know what he is at this point, right? So
0: there's a, couple, there's a couple other numbers that I think tell a story here, okay? So I put it in my, in my QB rankings. I think he came in at 14. He came in that Tier 3. The Tier 3 descriptor is that these guys can put up statistical output that is top 10 caliber. They could put out top 10 type of seasons. If they're in, if they have the right supporting cast, if they're playing in a dome, throw into Diggs and Thielen, Playing with the when he was with the Redskins, he had Deshaun Jackson, Jordan Reed at his best, Pierre Garcon. He had this really good group of playmakers. So statistically, he's been a top ten passer rating guy. Three out of his four years as a starter, including last year, but. PFF grade-wise, he's only had one year in the top 10. And when there's a disconnect there, and he was only 10th in 2016, when there's a disconnect there, it means he is getting some kind of help and the production is being aided. And with Cousins' case, I do think there is that conservatism at times when he needs to be aggressive, right? And then the thing we said coming into last year, remember the narrative was the Vikings have had four straight seasons of quarterbacks in the top 10 at avoiding turnover-worthy plays. Sam Brad- uh, Teddy, Teddy for two years, Sam Bradford, and then Case Keenum. Is that just Mike Zimmer's thing? Is that what he wants his quarterbacks to do? And then they go out and get money for Kirk Cousins, who's capable of making big-time throws, capable of making throws that those previous three quarterbacks don't make as consistently. So do you neuter him? Wow. No, do you make Cousins play a little bit more conservative a bloodbath, and man. take away those downfield throws? Or do you just let him go and say, look, there's going to be there might be a few more turnovers, but we got to unleash this guy because our best hope is a high efficient passing game that can create big plays. And last year he finished top 10 in turnover worthy plays. Big time throw percentage dropped quite a bit.
1: Yeah. Um, honestly, I think it's it's not a secret. He's a quarterback that's in that middle tier that does need everything around him to be good for him to get for, to get the best out of him, for him to be um the impressive quarterback that they wanted him to be. The one area where I think he did I don't want to say deviate from what we expected, but didn't do what he could have done that would have gone some way to justifying the money is we said that, you know, he was brought in there for that for the NFC championship game, right? The Vikings have a suffocating defense. They can run the ball, but sometimes things are going to go bad and you're going to find yourself a couple of scores down and things need to change and you need to start slinging the ball if you've got any hope of coming back. And when you have Case Keenum or Teddy Bridgewater or Sam Bradford, it wasn't going to happen, right? Cousins at least is capable of executing that kind of comeback or being in that kind of shootout and getting it done and didn't really do it last year. The only time you could say he did... Was in the Rams game that became a shootout chaos, and they lost that game anyway. And probably Green Bay, Green Bay week two. Right. Now, if the Rams game had gone the other way, like if they'd managed to win that one, we might have, the entire narrative surrounding Cousins might have changed. It's like he was able to go toe to toe with Sean McVay and the Rams offense, putting up points at will, and he came out on top. That's why we brought him in.
0: Yeah, but then if you look down the stretch at New England, 60.9 60.9 grade yeah. at seattle 47.8 oh, on monday night football and it, it doesn't have, matter when the game is but you know he it wouldn't change what he
1: it wouldn't have changed his output overall but it might have changed the narrative on yeah. what, what people thought about it
0: this does sum it up pretty well right at new england 60 seattle 47.8 miami at home 86.6 yeah right and then the last two weeks at detroit 70.7 not bad um and then a 58.6 against chicago at home and so he had two identical 58.6 game grades against chicago last year granted best defense but those are the games you're expect you're expected to win right and whether we're looking at you don't necessarily want to look at qb wins and losses but i think when you say against good teams historically stafford doesn't have a good record cousins doesn't have a good record there's probably something yeah to it
1: over time but if we get back to this new system coming in i think it's one well suited to him helping him out it'll i think schematically it helps everybody out i think we know we've said the receivers are a good group i think the offensive line will be better i think everything around cousins is better this year than it was this time a year ago except maybe the defense
0: so that's what i want to get to now with the defense when we looked at that 2017 defense it felt like wow this is a it's just a really solid good defense everywhere but when you have a good defense you try to see i think the jaguars have done a good job of taking a good defense and when they lose one or two pieces they've they've drafted and replaced them and it just felt like the vikings didn't necessarily have have replacements ready for when guys moved on you know anthony harris did a nice job at safety when sandejo moves on that type of thing is fine but up front do they have the horses like they had a couple years ago rushing off you know rushing off the edge rushing through the interior and how's that secondary gonna look
1: yeah and i i think also as much as mike zimmer is really good he's his baseline is more good not great he typically gets a pretty a good defense maybe even a very good defense and usually kind of struggles to turn it into an amazing defense and then every now and again we'll catch lightning in a bottle and you get the 2017 version right but this team i don't think is that good or this defense this unit i don't think is that good i don't think the talent is that good but i just don't think that baseline was that good it overperformed that year last year it came back down to earth and i suspect this year it's not going to go back because it wasn't that good to begin with you've got some really impressive players on it you know Denell hunter linval joseph is a dominant nose tackle everson griffin is a good player um, harrison smith is one of the best safeties in the game their big question mark though is i think there's a few spots where they're not as good as the, the kind of the reputation right, Xavier Rhodes, is he a true number one dominant corner or does he just show that level every now and again? Right. Um, Trey Waynes, can he be a solid number two corner all the time or will he have games where he causes you real problems? Um, I I think collectively across the board, you just got a lot of question marks on this defense and they kind of need all of them to break the right way for them to be a really good unit.
0: Uh, Coming off the edge, Danell Hunter, Everson Griffin. When Griffin, Griffin is back on the field and healthy, That's two solid edge rushers there. Again, I don't know about the depth though. You know, one or two injuries could be initial Linval in the, in the middle is solid. They bring back Anthony Barr. Didn't have his best year in coverage last year. Um, he's good for what they do. You know, he, he, you know, they, they do a lot of the creative, you know, a gap blitz type stuff that he is a part of. Um, so they've got solid pieces there. The thing that the Vikings defense has done is just made life difficult on third down and essentially intermediate and deep passes, you know, those big plays. And that's where they took a bit of a step back last year, especially.
1: They really need to find a. Uh, our- a solid pass rushing three tech. I think that's the thing that's missing, even just from the starting unit. You know, you you let go of Sheldon Richardson, and we've talked about why before that. You know, you get you get peak Richardson for like one two games a year, and the rest of it is eighty percent of his talents, and that frustrates the crap out of coaches, particularly right. I suspect coaches like Mike Zimmer. Yes, um, sure. so you get rid of him, but you have to understand that even him mailing it in is getting you fifty pressures a season. And if you don't have 50 pressures a season elsewhere in that unit, you just got worse, Right. even if you may feel better about it. Um, Hercules, so, maybe. I I mean, so I've been watching him a little bit in preseason. For anyone that doesn't know, Hercules Mata'afa, uh, Washington State, right? Yes. Washington State, a guy that was like 250-something pounds but played inside as a defensive tackle. And all the talk was, what do you do with this guy coming out of the draft? Because obviously he can't play inside at that that weight at the nfl level so everyone was projecting him outside and yet even so he went was he undrafted completely out of the draft yeah went undrafted stuck with the vikings then got a catastrophic injury missed the entire first year so now we're basically seeing him for the first time and they're actually lining him up as a three tech they're playing him inside where he played in college they're not putting him out as an edge rusher and he's shown flashes You know, you can definitely see the lack of size being a problem sometimes. Like the Bull Rush, I don't think, is going to be Hercules' friend, despite the name. Um, But, you know, maybe he's a guy that does have the ability to become that. Maybe Jalen Holmes can become that. But the point is, right now, nobody is that. And they need to find that guy because Hunter's good. Griffin's good. They're not—neither of them is Khalil Mack. Right. So they're not, they're not gonna Hunter's never graded
0: rush. as well as his sack totals would right. indicate. And so that means snap for snap. Yeah. He's not creating as much dominant pro- uh, disruption as some other defensive
1: guys. Neither best. of them is going to carry a pass rush all by themselves. They need somebody inside able to bring something. And at the moment, I don't really see that.
0: They could use another elite season from Harrison Smith, too. Because if you, yeah. when you have a safety grading at 90-plus, it means he's making those big plays. And it might only be an extra handful of plays per year. But obviously picking passes off, forcing fumbles, making a ton of run stops goes a long way when you've got that versatile three down type of safety. So who's going to win NFC North? the Bears probably I pick Packers uh, Patriots as the Super Bowl every year you do every year so I probably should pick the Packers but Does yeah. that
1: have to change if we become convinced that Aaron Rodgers is no longer oh player. that would change is it's basically the it was in the NFL? it was pretty
0: much based off of Brady and Rodgers right so now
1: now you've got to go what Brady and Breeze Patriot Saints will be my
0: will be my pick okay Pr- most likely but um no I think it's gonna be real competitive Bears are probably favored right i don't know what our green line guys say what the forecast guys say but despite your busy it's going to be an extremely competitive nfc north yeah that'll do it man nice that's it mm-hmm. pff25 you get 25% off your any pff product we suggest pff elite go check it out college that's green, line, green is line is live big green line update you get premium stats 2.0 you get all of the goodies over at pff so get your pff elite Promo code PFF25. We'll be back here Monday previewing one more division and talking a little bit about the weekend's preseason action. Everybody have a good weekend. We'll chat again Monday. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can re-watch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in Week 1. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray and his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, You have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.